I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. And with a quick turn, skipper Alex Dock slams it in. There's Lindergaard. Making Morris backpedal. Davis looking to help it into the path of Morris. He's found him via the deflection. It's Aaron Davis. He could win it. He probably has won it for Yeovil. Oh, and it's an opening goal. What a start. Madden, after just six minutes, gives Yeovil the lead. Stansfield, good turn away from Trott. Goal. Hello and welcome to the Glovers Cast. I'm Ian, and this evening I'm joined by Ben Barrett and a different Dave. We've got Dave Pryor of Three Valleys Radio. Welcome to the podcast, gentlemen. Hello, sir. Hello, mate. Dave. Dave Fraud, if you like, today. <laughs> a fraudulent Dave. Uh, you're all Daves. It's a like for like <laughs> Dave substitution. Um, Happy Daves. Unbelievable, <laughs> uh, Pryor. We're 24 <laughs> hours removed from our defeat at the hands of Bournemouth in the FA Cup. We're here to talk about the match. We've got a few questions from the listeners, uh, but most importantly, the treble is still on. We've uh, only only dropped out of the FA Cup, which I think you know was never really on the cards. Uh, but what do we think? What do we make of that game? It was a. Uh, it was a. Uh, it was a nice experience at Hewish Park. I mean, I think, obviously, all three of us have watched the game. Dave's watched it from behind a uh, a glass window in his ivory tower at Hewish Park. <laughs> Ben's watched it while working. And uh, I was a little bit exposed to the elements in the press box. I think when the game kicked off, all of a sudden, the, there was just this massive gust of wind. And you all know, Ben, when... Uh, well, so were you, Dave. When you're uh, sat in a press box and there's a gust of wind and all the paperwork... All of a sudden, everyone's like, shit, (laughs) 
holding down their stuff. There was that moment, literally as a game kicked off. And I think there was a few tweets on uh, on Twitter uh, talking about how... So are you saying, um, Ian, that none of us were actually able to enjoy it? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I don't know. There was a few tweets uh, for those watching at home saying, are you going to film on... Why are you filming on an iPad or something like that? But uh, the conditions were really tricky at the start of the game. But um, which of you wants to go first, Ben? Let's let's go with you. You were you were at home or at work or whatever watching the watching the game. Um, how did it come across on the television? Um, it felt like we were a half decent National League side playing against a very good Championship side, and I know that's blindingly obvious to say, but. I felt like we put in, we made a reasonable account of ourselves and the differences between the two sides are the differences that you'll find between decent, half reasonable National League sides and decent, very good championship sides, namely Emiliano Marcondes, who I thought was absolutely incredible all night and the sloppy errors that National League sides make. And when you're in the National League, you get away with them. When you're up against Bournemouth, albeit a vastly changed Bournemouth, you don't get away with them. And that's that's as simple as that. I'm not going to be I'm not going to be calling out too much about that performance in a negative manner. We gave it a go, second half particularly. We never gave up, we never gave in, we never gave them an easy ride. They capitalized on our errors and they didn't make enough errors for us to capitalize on. And so for me, tinge a little disappointment because there was a genuine feeling of we could and we've seen elsewhere, we've seen shocks and FA Cup upsets. Forest have done Arsenal, Cambridge have done Newcastle and uh, Kidderminster have done Reading and things like that. And Shrewsbury have given Liverpool a scare and Morecambe gave Spurs a scare and all the rest of it. And we maybe gave Bournemouth half a millisecond of concern, but a good side beat a slightly less good side by playing good football. Not going to go too nuts over that. No, I, th- I think that's a fair, um, a pretty fair assessment. I think you could, I sort of felt from the game that Bournemouth were head and shoulders above us in terms of quality. You could see that the way they controlled the ball. Um, <laughs> we don't trust the stats, but they had 64% of possession, but it felt like they had a lot more. Um, in, in, in my view, they, they sort of kept us at arm's length, and, but for that mistake, really, where Tom, that well, Tom Knowles forcing the mistake and Joe quickly got his goal. That's always that's always a bit of a highlight, isn't it? A goal against the odds. Um, I think there'll be, you know, that's something that a lot of the fans who were in attendance will be able to take home with them. The celebrations, and it was in front of the Thatchers, which is always always a plus for supporters. Um, yeah, I think you're pretty bang on there with with that assessment. They were good. Marcondes was. Unbelievable! He just didn't stop running around. He he was there everywhere, all over the pitch. He was an option, and you know he took his his first goal. You know he had a lot of time to pick his spot, but I thought his second one was second one was different gravy. The build up, the the patient play from them, and then it sort of opened up. But like you said, we we looked like a half decent national league team playing a team that's three points clear at the championship, and that that difference was. Uh, quite obvious um dave on your side you know you were commentating for three valleys what what was you know what was your assessment of what you saw 
Well, I thought it was sort of um, the epitome of the, the power of the cliche because you hear a lot about Bournemouth being this really good footballing side. And sometimes when you watch watch football on the telly, you don't always get a real kind of um, understanding, I guess, as the casual viewer of whether really good football is being played when you look at different styles up against one another. But actually looking at it uh, in the flesh at Hewish Park, I thought that some of their moves were just breathtaking, uh, but breathtaking in, a, in the most simplistic way that they didn't have to be too flash to sort of get in and around you. Obviously, you've got the golf in, obviously, where they are in the league standings. But um, I was looking to try and find out um, exactly how many passes there were in Macondes's second goal, because it must have been at least 20, 25 plus. And um, Yeovil just could not deal with the intricate passing that they were they were putting together and even with the tight angle I agree with you and it was a it was probably his his best finish um out of the three of them and Yeovil were just sort of you know if you were playing I think I'd be standing there thinking blimey these these are a good side you know I think there was a lot of talk about whether Scott Parker would change a lot of his squad around I think a few of us were maybe thinking more more in hope than expectation that obviously with where they are in the championship, that they might go more um, youngsters. Uh, difficult to kind of assess it because I think quite a few youngsters have actually made their senior debuts in the championship this season for Bournemouth. So some of those so-called youngsters have actually had quite a bit of ex- experience in the team already this season. But I'd probably say, um, I don't know what you boys thought, but I thought the, uh, the squad that Scott Parker put out um, the eleven that started, I thought it was a bit half and half, really, for um, youngsters to sort of experience heads. And um, I think a lot of us were hoping that it might be those shitty little cherries that you get on top of cherry bakewells. When we actually got some <laughs> MNS glacé cherries, I think that actually came down from Bournemouth. <laughs> unfortunately for us, and you've just got to hold your hands up and say, "Do you know what? Uh, they played some exceptional football." I think the annoyance from myself is the fact that with particularly with that first goal it came from Mepham just hitting one over the top and yes it was a brilliant ball and I was kind of hoping from where I was that there might have been a touch of offside about it but then when you actually look back at it on the pictures I mean it was such a such a run from deep I think he was onside by quite some margin wasn't he and a really good finish so that was disappointing but then you know that extra little bit of quality um, and shows that they could mix it up when they needed to as well. And you just got to hold your hands up to that, really. Without wishing to turn this into a uh, Mark Condis love fest, watching him just in, in between the first and second goals of his, it's not about necessarily how much he runs, but how much he's he never literally stands stand still for two seconds. Sometimes it's only a couple of steps here and there. But in the build-up to the second goal, he was picking the ball up in front of his back four. So he was probably a concern of, of maybe one of the attacking players, maybe Quigley or, or uh, uh, Tom Knowles. Then he's suddenly in front of Josh Staunton trying to make a little pass and Josh Staunton's thinking, hang on, what's this guy doing here? He's not my guy. Then suddenly he's pushing things on, but he's never really moving that far or that fast. But because he never stands still, it's almost like Scott Parker's decided to play with 10 men and just told Mark Condes just to also be there. Just crack on, do whatever you want, mate. And that must be so difficult. You've got experienced players, good players, Wilkinson, Staunton, Gorman, having to continually worry about where's this extra guy? Is he mine? Is he someone else's? Have I got to tell someone else ready to go? And it's um, 
yeah, uh, for me, the, the first goal, Dan Moss is a little bit out of position. But actually, I've watched it back, and Dan Moss has got a winger to worry about, the winger he was probably expecting to worry about. And suddenly, Mark Andres is in between full-back and centre-back, and suddenly he's out of position thinking, oh, <laughs> I've got to try and catch him up. And then the second goal, as, as, as you rightly say, Dave, it's, it's, it's neat, it's quick, it's, it's, it's really easy. But just before the killer blow of the pass, Mark Andres points. It's like he's three seconds ahead of everyone else. He points to say, I'm going there in a second or two. Can you put the ball there, please? It's put on a sixpence and it's slid in behind the goalkeeper. We're going to talk about the goalkeeper, I'm sure. I don't think he covers himself in glory in the second goal, let alone the third. I was expecting him to Kasper Schmeichel spread himself a little bit, like he did with another chance, actually, later on. But he feels like he almost curls up a bit, turns himself around a bit. I don't think the keeper covers himself in glory when you're at that angle. Um, but all the credit to the way that Bournemouth played going forward. I thought it was quick and easy. And like you say, they knew how to mix it up. They knew how to soak up the early first 10 minutes. They did take some some big crosses, some big long balls and just head them away and deal with them and just get gritty for 10 minutes if they had to. They knew what they were doing. They knew how they were, were going to set up and they knew what we were going to do. And fair play to them. That's what good teams do at the end of the day. And there was a few in there with points to prove, none less than Mark Ondes, who's played about 10 minutes, I think, recently since the start of uh, December-ish or sort of over the Christmas period. He's barely played. He gets an opportunity and bang, takes it. They they also took some big hits in the opening three minutes with uh, Dale Gorman's tackle. Um, I think, you know, we all thought it was a pretty bad one, you know, up up in the, the press box. It looks uh, it looked slightly dangerous, but the the replays on the telly, I mean you said in our WhatsApp chat you you know, you you and Dave both thought he was lucky to stay on the pitch after that tackle. Before I say anything, Dave, you were obviously commentating. What was your instinct on that first that first challenge? So we did think it was a pretty bad one, but unfortunately for us, in our glass ivory tower, as you touched on, Ian, we were actually the other side of it. Um, and I just wondered if it's that old kind of adage of the fact that it was so early in the game, whether the referee felt that he couldn't possibly make that kind of decision so early. Because I, I can't remember how early it was, but it was certainly in the first couple of minutes, if not, Earlier than that, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Um, just checking the. We've got it down as three on the website. Flash course has Minute, two <laughs> minutes, I assume, as opposed to seconds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I suppose from Gorman's point of view, he was um, he's probably seen all the videos of Nathan Smith flying in when we played Manchester United, and <laughs> he was doing his own version of the the reducer, is it that uh, Martin <laughs> Keogh not often refers to it as, but. Probably got it a little bit wrong there, but then with this kind of occasion as well, um, your adrenaline, the the amount of fans that there were in the stadium. I'm just sort of giving him the excuses really, because obviously we don't want to see a red card for um one of the boys in green and white, and um, but maybe yeah, possibly did get a, get away with it a little bit. I think he got away with it. I think he got away with it big time. I, he does play the ball, but almost with the foot that's on the floor. The, the, the lead foot, his right foot, is quite high. Um, if that was the other way around, we'd be sat here saying Bournemouth should have been down to 10 men early doors without question. For me, it's a red card. I do wonder if it was a little bit, like you say, high adrenaline on Gorman's part. He wants to make an impression. We've got to start quick. He said it in his pre-match chat, didn't he? We've got to get at him quick. We've got to do what we do best, and that is start fast and try and ruffle some feathers. Well, 
certainly did that and he nearly paid the ultimate price in terms of being sent off. I think he probably should have done. I think the other yellow card early doors for, for Matty Worthington was a horrific decision. That's never a yellow card. It's a foul. At absolute worst, it's a don't do that again, mate, but never a yellow on its own. So inconsistencies from the official. We might even have a question about the officials. I haven't seen the questions yet, but um, yeah, I don't think he was a particularly impressive performer last night either. Do you think, so uh, my view is those two, you know, that that's, 66.6% of our midfield playing on a yellow card for the majority of the game. It sort of restricts them to in what they're able to do in those little moments where Bournemouth are, you know, like totally dominant in possession where you might think, oh, I can get away with a little trip here. I can get away with a little shirt tug there. Um, I think that had a, an impact on how we were able to play. Or do you think Bournemouth's control of the ball was so, you know, they were so dominant, it didn't make that big of a difference. I think the fact that those yellow cards were so early gave that control to Bournemouth. Because in that midfield, then they could make the little passes. They could have quick breakaways after soaking up a couple of minutes of pressure. And suddenly, two very key players weren't in the position to cause awkward fouls. Dale Gorman did did make one more foul late on. And I mean... It was a bit of a pull, wasn't first, it? A pull back in, I, the, in the first a, half. That's a fucking... Yeah. However you look at it, that's that's mm. a classic take one for the team booking. And yeah, I, I how how Dale Gorman stayed on the pitch maybe twice is is staggering. Um and I think it gave them the freedom. It gave Marcondes the chance to say, Well, I can run around, do whatever I like, because two of them can't kick me now. And then Dan Moss goes in the book later on, suddenly three of them can't touch me. They can't go anywhere near me because they did know how to play a little bit and, and hit the deck a bit early and break things up and bring things back to their pace. They're good at that. That's why they're good at what they do. So it definitely favoured them. But flip the coin, I can almost understand why we had to try and do that early doors. You weren't going to sit off and let them have the ball and let them ease into the game. You had to do that early. I don't think it was maybe quite nailed on, but I do understand the tactic behind it. I know it's easy to kind of talk about the occasion when you look at the Oval players in terms of their exuberance, but I did feel that through some of the challenge and particularly some of the yellow cards, like you said, Ben, we'll probably touch on the referee a little bit later, but I know the rules of the show, so whatever, you know, you say goes on that. But um, I did find, I think that, did you notice that some of the the challenges were more lunges after Yeovil players had actually overran the ball a little bit. And then they were so exuberant to try and run it, uh, win it back. There was a couple of times when you were sort of wincing at the challenges and hoping that, um, that, that there wasn't going to be any bad ones in there. Um, the referee, to be fair to him, I think there was a couple of times where Yeovil players did sort of not go over the top of the ball, but they were sort of chasing after their mistakes. And there was a couple of times the ref actually let it go and Bournemouth had the advantage a couple of times. But unfortunately, for from their point of view, it didn't, it didn't actually come to anything. But I think there was some challenges in particular that you might not necessarily have seen if it wasn't for the game in front of the cameras and the magnitude of it for some of these players. Do you think there's always a bit of an... Uh, maybe this is going to be our our rule break and our referee discussion. Although I think the rule is we don't talk about National League refs because they're all rubbish, so we may be able to get away with this rule break and just, you know, this wasn't a National League ref. Um, FA Cup games always tend to have an element of uh, sort of loose officiating, I think. You know, you'd name Nathan Smith's 
horrific tackle on Alexis Sanchez when we played Manchester United. I can recall, um, I think when Arsenal played Sutton, there was a challenge on an Arsenal player that was like off the floor, really high. And in the Premier League, it would have definitely been a red card, but it was almost like that, oh, it's, it's Sutton, it's non-league, you know, they, there's that whole, oh, these players aren't used to those types of tackles and they get away with that sort of thing. Do you think the referee had that in mind or do you think he was a little bit just inconsistent? Because I thought Moss's yellow card was harsh. Um, I thought there was a couple of decisions where, you know, he, he didn't have to give anything, but he gave a free kick to Bournemouth. There were these sort of 50-50 chance, 50-50, um, you know, moments where it could have gone either way or could have got nothing. I think when we played Steven, it's a referee let a lot of stuff go. There was a lot of um, situations where he didn't have to make a decision, so he didn't make a decision, whereas this this official seemed to be a little bit more inclined to blow his whistle and, and get involved. Oh, yeah, without question. He wasn't very good at all, all round. But there were, that, that Moss yellow card is not a yellow card, and yet there were decisions and tackles by both sets of players. I'm not going to sit here and give it the anti-Govel uh, side here, but the far worse that should have been booked on both sides, notably Dale Gorman's second yellow, potentially. That was worse than what, what Dan Moss did. And then there was Dan Moss got booted in the head, about six foot in the air. Nothing. The handball on the line in the 90-12 minute, nothing. Um, I, I just It was bafflingly inconsistent um, for both ways. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that he's the reason Yeovil um, lost, because he's not, but he was terrible. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up those points, actually, Ben, because um, I had Paul thought with me of doing Three Valleys. Um, we were talking about the one where it was the, it was the high foot, but we we weren't really sure what the rules are in that. And like, don't get me wrong, if you get smashed in the face, it's a definite free kick, regardless, you know, regardless of if it's a high foot or not. But there's that argument that was it like Paul was touching on that whether it was a you know a low header, if you will, therefore it wasn't a a high foot from the attacker, but at the same time uh, from the defender. But at the same time, if you're getting booted in the face, it's well pretty much it's a foul, isn't it? <laughs> there's there's no there's no kind of uh, way to address it as anything else. Um, but as for that potential handball on the line at the end, um, I know a few people have been sort of saying, well, it wouldn't have made too much difference, but then you get an opportunity to get one and then they add, the referee might add some time on. Um, so you've got one more chance to try and sort of lump it forward. Again, from where we were, we couldn't really see what had happened. Um, but has it been quite conclusive that, that there was definitely a, uh, more than a smidgen of handball in there. I was trying to catch it on the highlights on BBC, but um, I I didn't see that that particular piece of action on the highlights that I've seen, so I've not been able to see it again. Me, it is. He kind of the defender flops on the floor and blocks the Ruben Reed shot. I mean, I, it, it's a handball. It hits his arm. I mean, I don't understand what else it can be. The ref gives the full time whistle, so I mean. He might think it's a penalty, but the, the game officially ended between Ruben Reed's foot making contact and the defender's arm making contact, which means he would have blown up for full time had it gone in and we'd have still lost 3-1. It just didn't really add up. I think it was just an awkward way of finishing. Didn't need to finish like that. I hate you when the refs blow the full time whistle when the ball's in the six yard box. That makes no sense to me. You have to let a play run out. You have to let the ball just 
either move into a neutral area or just go out of play or something, you're just going to unnecessarily rile people up. And we saw at the end and I had, I did have Grant Smith flashbacks. I was just saying to myself, shut up, Wilkinson, shut up. Don't say anything. And three mm. or four of the guys ra- rallied around the ref and you just think, shut up. We've missed Grant Smith for the two games. Don't do anything stupid here. Just walk away and moan about it on the podcast on, on Sunday night. Yeah, there's a, there's a, I've got, a, actually, I've got a shot. I don't know if you've seen the pictures, Ben. I've got a picture of, um, that moment unfolding and it there's a picture of Ruben Reed and it just he's swinging his left foot and it's like he's got so much of the goal to aim for like if he gets that up and off the floor it doesn't happen um and we you know we go home with a little bit more of a happier end of the game in that we've scored and it, it would have just been nice to have had that that um extra moment just to round the game off even if we lose it's a goal in front of the Thatchers and, you know, 3-2 is better than 3-1, isn't it? Um, let's talk about the goal. And for him as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, as soon as it happened, you saw Ruben Reed grab the ball. He yeah. was taking the penalty. Yeah. He almost grabbed the ball before before <laughs> the ref had even made the decision. It was just a penalty. He grabbed the ball. He was taking it. He needs that first goal. And no, it's not going to make a difference to the game. And, you know, fine. But what if Ruben Reed was scored that penalty, felt good, goes on and scores one Tuesday night and goes on and moves on and becomes that that striker we know it can be. It has knock-on effects. and These things do matter, <laughs> so to speak. So that was disappointing. A few other things were disappointing. Um, Darren Sarr mentioned last week, didn't he, that he, he um, listed the ref as being quite poor in his post-match uh, records. Well, I, I would hazard a guess he's done something similar this time. Yeah, and I think um, let's just uh, get away from the disappointment uh, let's talk about the the goal. Joe Quigley got his goal against the team he started at. Uh, great work from Tom Knowles to press the keeper, and uh, a nice simple finish. But uh, a hell of a moment for Joe Quigley and Ben. Another situation here where you've have you caught this? Did you predict this on the podcast? Correct. <laughs> yeah, it was nice to see a packed Thatcher's Terrace become unglued at that moment. It is. You know, it's those moments that you, I don't know, I remember from when I was a kid, the, these moments of goals being scored and just sheer jubilation. So, you know, you'd like to think there was a few kids in the, in the crowd who really soaked in that moment and are going to be dragging their parents to uh, Needham Market on Saturday. <laughs> it, was the, it was the perfect goal, I think, from a, from a fan's perspective. In you know, you can look at the, obviously the, the definite quality between the two sides but there's undoubtedly what Yeovil could match them for would be effort uh closing down and of course obviously having uh the seven and a half thousand or five or so thousand obviously which is Yeovil supporters um cheering them on and and helping with that press and that kind of um approach approach to the game and then when you get the closing down and the closing down then pays off and then you get the nice tap in it was like all of those elements all came together at that one moment. And um, yeah, I mean, how do you like him for Joe Quigley? I mean, that's happy days. After everything he's been through as well, he's not had it easy. He had to lead the line by himself for the first 10 games and did really quite admirably. And then had to sit out injured, unavailable, whilst we were going through those FA Cup games. He obviously missed that penalty at Weymouth. Imagine how different things would have been if he'd have scored that penalty at Weymouth. It would have been so, so easy. But maybe we wouldn't have gone on the run. 
maybe we wouldn't have had to fight back and come back into it. And he obviously then missed out on, I think he missed out on Yates and Stevenage, possibly, and then comes back and gets his moment against his former club. He's been injured, he's been in and out the side. And it's interesting that you've got three candidates probably for one role there. Well, he's given himself the first nod and he might have bought himself an extra start on Tuesday night by scoring a nice easy tap in. So big for Joe Quigley, big for the club, big for the team. Very synonymous, a very Yeovil goal. Work, Harry, get into people's faces, make other people make errors and try and take advantage. So great to see the uh, the Thatchers go up like that. And it did give us belief, didn't it? With such a long time to go in that second half, the longer it stayed at 2-1, the longer we were still in the game. Yeah. And uh, that sort of brings us to a, <laughs> a point where we can talk about that third goal and maybe talk about our lonely keeper, Dylan Barnes. <laughs> Performances that that one was sort of, you know, it, oh, I'm not a goalkeeper, obviously. Um, but, you know, you <laughs> push it away from the goal, push it wide of the goal. And it seems to go, you know, pretty central right in front of the goal yeah. to the feet of a incoming Bournemouth player who you know, doesn't have a lot to do to put it away but it, it... almost anywhere but there really <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it's one of those wasn't it? it it felt to me it you know the, the talky game I gave him the benefit of the doubt until I'd seen the angle on social media of the the talky supporters on that um corner and then uh, the performance last night wasn't Spectacular, he made one good save um, from low. I think it was low. Uh, what do we make? What do we make of Dylan Barnes and his uh, brief spell? In green Can and I white? take this, Ben? <laughs> By all means. By all means. So, so it's difficult, I think, with two games. And I can't work out if I'm being extremely harsh or that's just the reality of of what the situation is because i guess obviously we all know that if you're a goalkeeper you're only really as good as your last mistake aren't you really because it's your mistake that that obviously is what's going to be remembered and then obviously costs your team but i guess I, what i could compare it to is like i know it's like watching a mr bean sketch with with him and when you watch mr bean when when some when he's doing something right, like he's making a cake or something, and you're like, oh, he's making a cake, he's done it right. But then you know that cake is going to fall on the floor at some point, and then you're like, ah, yeah, it's still Mr. Bean. And that was what happened with Dylan Barnes, because if you remember in the Torquay game, I seem to remember him making at least one really key save at a important moment. I think it might have even been before it then le- leaped over his head and went behind him. Yeah, I think, I think <laughs> and, you're right. The same happened in the Bournemouth game. I think it was Lowe that went through, stood up strong. You talk about the Schmeichel stance. He, he pretty much did what he needed to do at that point. A really good save. And then, like you say, when it actually came to that that other moment of the Mr. Bean dropping the cake, there it was. And McCondes, hey, how do you like him? And 3-1. And it, I, you can only really judge him on, on the mistakes, I guess. And just wasn't wasn't good enough. I think I think his performance is the only element of what if that remains. If we're 2-1 at 70 minutes when he scores, mm. that's okay. But 70 minutes becomes 80 minutes. 
And suddenly you're chucking on Ruben Reed at 2-1, not 3-1. Suddenly you're chucking on strikers. Suddenly you're sticking Luke Wilkinson up top and you're starting to lump balls into the box. You're putting pressure on their keeper who's already made one gaff, who will feel the pressure. And there's always that maybe. There's always the maybe. There's always the ball that drops nicely after a headed clearance. Dale Gorman thunders one in finally from 40 yards. There's always that what if at 3-1, sucker punch, back to square one that you were back to a minute or two ago. Game over. Game almost almost peters out at that point, and, and you will then have to go in to force it. Same with the Torquay one. We're 1-0 up. We've just scored an absolute worldie eight minutes before. We're on top of the world. We've turned around the performance from Boxing Day. This is incredible. See this out. Don't do anything stupid like, I don't know, punch the ball into your own frigging net. <laughs> like, he's not a bad goalkeeper. He plays for QPR. He's played whatever many dozens and dozens and dozens of EFL games. He's not a bad goalkeeper. And I'm not going to sit here and say he's a bad goalkeeper. I'm going to say he's made two match-defining errors. Yeah. Which is rough. And, and when you're that, only here for 28 days as well, or whatever it is. You well, can't, can't. It's not going to be 28 days. <laughs> no, 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 exactly. And what are you thinking if you're Max Evans, by the way? So... I thought about this long and hard, and I, you know what? I get it. I get why we went with the Loney. I was Team Max. I think we should have gone with Max. Yeah. And I said that before, but I get why we're doing it. Because if those two exact two errors, those two games play out in exactly the same way, but you swap Barnes for Evans, and Evans punches the ball in the back of his own net, and then Evans rolls the ball to Mark Andes for his hat-trick goal, that might cause some long-term problems. Maybe I'm not good enough at this level. Maybe I'm not going to get another chance. Maybe I don't play against Needham Market. Maybe I don't play Somerset Premier Cup games. Maybe the under-18 keeper is going to have to start coming in and getting involved. I get that. I get that, and I get the importance of these games meant we needed some been-there-done-that experience. But... Hindsight's twenty twenty, in it. Yeah, definitely feel like we should have gone with Max Evans now. Maybe, maybe there were elements of um, did our defence trust him in the same way they trust Smith, in the same way they trust Evans through working with him. If he's had, if we've had a rough week where we've not been able to train very much, we've not had full lists there. We had twelve players on Thursday or twelve players on Friday, and suddenly, you know, has he had that build up? Has he had that six months of day in, day out, day in, day out, match day experience, match day experience that Evans has had? Probably not. And those are conditions and context that you can't really do anything about. But yeah, that's my only what if. What if we're 2-1 instead of 3-1 with five minutes to go and we just start launching the ball forward? And unfortunately, Dylan Barnes will go down as a as a footnote in this football club season, or someone said on social media as a quiz question for Dave on uh, on one of his on one of his quizzes in the near future, and he probably will do. Unfortunately, he'll be fine. He'll probably have another loan spell somewhere. He might even get into the QPR team and do absolutely fine. But his last couple of games at Hewish Park, he got sent off for Colchester against us when he was last here. Punched the ball back into his own net and gifted Bournemouth a place in the fourth round. Thanks, mate. But we're done. <laughs> I think. Bean. I think um, there there was uh, a moment where you know uh, at the press conference before the Torquay game, uh, I asked Luke Wilkinson about how they were feeling about not having Grant Smith and how there was going to be a different goalkeeper in behind them, and he sort of said, "Oh, they were used to working with Max Evans. Uh, the, the way they train, Max Evans is involved." 
with them. They just felt that it was going to be an element of, you know, coaching him through it and leading him through it. Um, and I do think, you know, hindsight is hindsight is twenty twenty, as we say, and we have the benefit of that now. But I think those experiences for for him, you know, it, it would have been good. You know, it might not have... We, we may have still lost. He may have done something, but he's ours. He's mm. our keeper, and we would have been able to get through that. I think when you, you know, when Darren Sarve said... He was bringing in, an ex, you know, he was looking at bringing in someone. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like I maybe it's a bit of a reality check as as to it's what interesting we are. You mentioned but I the, thought we'd have the, more than a twenty-five-year-old, you know, more than a twenty-five-year-old mm. keeper from QPR who's you know played a not played a great deal. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it it's a shame. It is what it is. Um, you know, Grant uh, Grant Smith's gonna have to take a little look at himself, isn't he, and think what he's missed out on these last, you know, hundred and eighty minutes of football he's missed out on could have had significant, you know, differences to our season. And I think just from an occasion standpoint, for him to miss out on a third round against top of the championship club in front of our biggest crowd since twenty eighteen. What an opportunity he's missed just by having a go at a referee after the final whistle's gone. Especially after the FA Cup he's had. Mm. Weymouth and Shagger Hips and then Stevenage <laughs> and his incredible performance at Stevenage. Let's not forget that. He yeah. was outstanding at Stevenage. Mm. Um, he almost... I hope he and Max Evans have two really big games coming up. We assume Smith is straight back in for South End. I would be disappointed if he's not. Um and we think Max Evans will get the go against Needham Market. I would love them both to put in performances that say, from Smith, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done it. Here's a clean sheet for you. And Max Evans goes and gets a clean sheet against Needham Market, pulls off a couple of worldies and says, told you I should have played against them. And, you know, everyone moves on from that point. So two clean sheets for two different goalkeepers. And we all move on from this sorry hold affair. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Should we uh, move on to some questions? We've had quite a few. Uh, feels... Have we got a question on? Have we got a question on South End? Because I feel like we do need to look forward a little bit. We do. Talk yeah. About South End. Yeah. Well, let's we, do that. We let's can rely that. on uh, the ever reliable uh, Andy Cleave has asked us a South End question. Oh. Look, looking ahead to South End on Tuesday, what would your starting eleven be, assuming everyone is fit and available? Interested to know who'd start up top. And he's also kind of answered the question a little bit by himself. Uh, surely Barnett back at left back too. Uh, so we don't quite know sort of who was missing and who was unavailable, but the people missing from the entire squad were there any? I don't, I don't think know. anyone was. We named nine subs. No. I think the man. I was going to say when I was looking at the subs, it was like, wow, this is a full celebration tin here isn't there you've got you've got everything who's the toffee penny yeah who was the, t- the goalkeeper <laughs> <laughs> dylan barnes was the toffee penny um uh no, there was no ollie haste there you go he's the one oh, missing okay. he um but jack robinson didn't get on so i wouldn't necessarily agree immediately that um we have Barnett at left back. I quite like Barnett further forward. 
I do like Barnett further forward. If we can accommodate him on that left side with a bit of balance on the right side in some way, shape or form, I quite like him further forward. I don't mind it at all. When I saw the first team news and we were talking about it, I went, is he up front? Is he the other side? Have <laughs> <laughs> they gone that far? Are you going Robinson left back then, Ben, if you want I think, Barnett I think forward? so. I think so. I mean, Jaheim Headley, um, I think his loan's like going to peter out into nothing. That's him done, I think. Um, I think so. I want to go back to the solidity that we saw at Solihull. Um, and so I would almost copy that team, actually, in that nil-nil draw. It was scrappy. It was tough. It was difficult to break down. But I think it was what we need to show now. After what is three, three losses in a row now, we've conceded a few goals. Let's go back to doing what we did best. Um, and for that game, it was Robinson at left back with Barnett in midfield. Um, and so I think I like Barnett, but I think I'm starting Robinson just to provide that extra bit of solidity in defence. Does that mean you're starting Adi Youssef if you're going to go to Solihull? Uh, no, I'm starting um, I'm starting with Joe Quigley. I'm just going gonna, gonna to mute my microphone, I think. My son is trying to walk into my office room. Two seconds. Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> so, oh, I better throw in who I'd start up front then, had I? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm, I was disappointed not to see Charlie Wakefield. But obviously after the match, the manager said Charlie Wakefield's not been very well and hasn't been able to train properly. But I think for me, I love that combination of Wakefield and Knowles either side of a striker I think Quigley's done enough to even when even when Wakefield had been playing right up top as well I think that that kind of worked quite well because he's got he's got such a good engine it it doesn't really matter sort of where where you put him to and I think he 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 does really have he does seem to have a really good understanding with Quigley in particular but like you touch on with the Yeovil of yesteryear they've been most exciting when they've had really exciting wingers and then Knowles and Wakefield I mean they kind of pick themselves don't they if you want to use those two down the flanks I think they I think they do but it's just whether the manager wants to bring Sonny back in doesn't he He like you know Sonny's been getting picked over Tom Knowles as of late um, up until his red card so I think you know I, I think Quigley's got to go in up front again for a start and then yeah either side I, I just like seeing you know Tom Knowles don't fall in love with footballers and you know Charlie Le- Charlie Wakefield you know he's he's on his way to being in that category if he can do some you know score some more goals like he's done against Weymouth and Stevenage um yeah he's up to there be honest me. it's it's just nice to be able to answer that question with other people <laughs> so for a long yeah. time we haven't really been able to say who's going to start at left back who are we gonna who are we gonna have down the wing? Who's gonna play up front? It's it's just been a case of um, well, quickly starts because he has to. That's what we got. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So all of a sudden, um, it, it's nice just to be able to have that discussion. Really, back by the way, it wasn't my son. It was my wife delivering uh, Chinese trinkets of food. I've got spring rolls. Nice. I've got yakitori's, and I've got what appears to be. A crumpet with some beef on. <laughs> Am I being Chinese illiterate now? What's a yakitori? It is um, chicken on a stick. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I can get behind that. 
<laughs> very nice food um so yeah um i i kind of I, i've been listening in i i do love this idea of we've got such a small squad we've got genuine options we've got four, we've got four people that can play a left back alex bradley <laughs> can't get a kick we've got three goalkeepers to choose from we've got three genuine strikers to choose from get lawson diaz to strap his boots on and suddenly we've got genuine four wide options i mean there's a lot going on for a team with no players, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. We know why you want Lawson back on the pitch, right? Just to get me back up that list. One <laughs> more step. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the left-back discussion's an interesting one. Some people will say interesting is definitely the wrong word. Uh, but <laughs> Morgan Williams, do you think his time at left-back is is up a little bit? We've got, you know, we've got options there. And you know me, I like symmetry. I want a left-footer at left-back. I want a left back, a left a, back. It's a difficult one with Williams, I think, because we've now seen him, what, left back, centre back, right back. And because he hasn't, you know, up until this point, been a regular starter, I think it can be a little bit detrimental when you've got somebody who is able to sort of play anywhere. I mean, you know, he's... All, I was going to say, maybe not as a bad example, I was going to say he's almost like the Phil Neville of Yeovil Town, isn't he, in many ways, because he can play in in those particular positions. But whether you've actually got that master of a trade or you just sort of fill in, I know that particularly in the National League level, a lot of managers rely on players playing in different positions. But when you can't quite nail a place down, I'm not quite sure if that actually plays to your advantage. Not sure. If Morgan Williams is um, Phil Neville, does that make Dylan Barnes Massimo Taibbi? <laughs> I'm all for these 90s Premier League references. Or was it early 2000s Taibbi probably, wasn't it? Uh, uh, so was that the Matt Letizia through the legs one? Yeah, it was. Was it that one? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> early naughty. <laughs> yeah, topical. Yeah, early naughty. <laughs> right, on to the next question. Um Debs Curtis, uh, who's at fault when it comes to the Hewish Park, Hewish Park match day experience? Reports of extremely old posters hanging up around the ground and still no hot water in the Screwfix toilets. I feel, like we've, I feel like we've done this to death, haven't we, lads? So can I, Debs, I really appreciate the question. It's a great question, but probably not one that we can and maybe should answer. There are other people who should be answering things like that. So I'm going to, I'm going to twist that question. You lads have been there quite a bit over the last couple of weeks, months, seasons. I want you to imagine that actually we've, we've had to switch the South end game on Tuesday to home rather than away. What changes do you think the club can make by the time this goes live on 8am on Monday morning between that point and kickoff of our now home game against South end United? So you can't be doing planning permissions and you can't be spending millions of money because we haven't got it. What changes do you think that can make can be made quite quickly, quite easily in that short period of time that will make the match day experience better for all those concerned in as many areas as you want? You two have been there. Um, Dave, fire some things off. Re- within reason, you can't go and pluck millions of pounds out of thin air. Uh, it's funny you should say that because... Uh... Paul Thorpe was having the discussion with me on air, in fact, saying what he would do if he had a million of pounds to take over the Oval. And he was talking about penalty shootout competitions where the cash was actually attached to the net where you have to hit the ball. So maybe that's not something that we can do <laughs> by Tuesday. But 
we used to we used to we used to do more for um particularly focusing on the children didn't we have the um like a play zone type thing not that long ago that seemed to be really successful at the time it used to be quite busy um when you had a couple of the players that were able to come by obviously that weren't available in the squad um and they were able to do sort of different challenges and bits and pieces a bit of uh, a Q and A and um, signatures to um, you know selfies, all that, all that kind of stuff that goes on. Even just little things like that, I would imagine doesn't really take a lot of putting together. I wouldn't have thought. You just you've got an area. You've you know, at the end of the day, you don't really need too much to be there because people just want access to the players. That's what that's what they want. It's a you know, it's a community club. It's a club at a level where. The players shouldn't necessarily be, you know, out of touch with the community like you do at sort of Premier League level. So I think there's certainly things like that and possibly half-time competitions and bits and pieces. Maybe not, maybe not cash hanging down from a from a goalpost or, you know, winning a Ford Focus or something. But you can certainly certainly do little competitions and things, um, just as sort of a as a short-term kind of solution before you can then maybe start to think of what you can do sort of longer term. I think there might be sort of um, maybe COVID implications and bits and pieces for that. But one thing I think we've, we've got is a fantastic community team that would just, I mean, the guys at the Community Sports Trust and the stuff that they can do, if given the, not quite necessarily an empty checkbook or anything like that, but just told to, to do what they do that's what they're so damn good at and i do feel like that ian a little bit more than a uh, practical stuff then around the ground physically how are you tidying up what are you doing where are you right. taking your dustpan and brush to <laughs> two things maybe more it may end up in more than two things one the easiest win is to tell everyone to wear their welly boots to matches <laughs> because there is so much water everywhere uh from the car park all the way around the concourse, if you can call it a concourse, just mud, sludge, water, swamp, everywhere. Uh, Have so we got any in the club shop? <laughs> there's an opportunity. There, there is an opportunity. Go. You are we've got welcome. Be, we've got to be the only club who could end up getting a game postponed because the ground is waterlogged. <laughs> yeah, the outside. <laughs> the, the outside, I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, option two... Uh, our esteemed owner who decided he could find Yeovil uh, at the weekend could put out a statement on Monday morning to say, right, I'm selling the club. Um, this seven-day nonsense is over. I am selling the club. That then is followed by a statement from new owners who then say, right, help us. Let's do this. We know you, you know, whatever fans don't want to do, you know, I don't think fans are willing to, um, you know, spend their time or their money um, supporting the current owner. Uh, a new owner comes in and says, right, I'm, I'm doing this. We need your help. How many people do you think are going to run to Hewish Park because they feel involved and they, you know, want to help someone who's actually going to appreciate it? I mean, I don't necessarily think, uh, you know, I don't think you'd have hundreds of people, but I think you'd have 
some people who think, yeah, right, I am going to muck in. I I believe in this. I believe in this vision. Um, I'm sick of it. Let's go. <laughs> and I'm willing to do it for you. But I wasn't willing to do it for the bloke before he comes when we're on telly and we've got 8,000 people there and the BBC are in town. It's... <sighs> It's a real shame, isn't it? We we know we've 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 had the emails, we've had the messages, we've seen the social media posts. We know that there are people, not just one-off people, but people who have companies who have sponsorship availability that have simply said, "We're not doing anything yet. We're not doing it. We're not going to help out. We're not going to put our company's name on something yet." So that stuff is so so frustrating. We've seen the stories about the. The stuff behind the, the terraces being just basically a sludge fest and, you know, the, the £3.50 cans of Thatcher's cider that were being sold by two kids who didn't know how to work the change out and stuff like that. It's Those are the things that are difficult. There, there must be other easy wins there. I'm, I'm sure Yeovil fans are listening to this thinking, hang on, what about just simply taking down a poster that was out of date with the person's name on it that doesn't even work at the club anymore? Because you don't contact Dave Linney for marketing opportunities anymore, like the poster says in the toilet. Mm. He's gone. What, a, what about a card machine, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> a what? <laughs> a card machine. To take payments electronically? That, yeah. You'd think yeah, that, it, it you know, catch on, mate. Say that maybe that might be something <laughs> that they can, you know, where people are able to sort of, you know, pay contactless, maybe. No. Just throwing it out there. No, n- never catch on, mate. I mean, I think, I think, you know, a higher aspiration is probably hot water than uh, <laughs> let's get hot water in in the toilets said, before we I get contact. I said realistic. <laughs> I said realistic. Yeah, I know you're not going to get you a plumber out these in this time. Out of, where are you plucking these crazy facet things out of thin air from? Mm. Unbelievable. And I don't. I mean, I don't know about. Uh, I don't know about the other toilets, but I know when I. Uh, when I go to the loo and I go to get some hand sanitizer out because it's hot water, there's no hot water, so what's the point in freezing your hands? Um, go to get some hand sanitizer and the ones in inside the toilets are empty. <laughs> so I then go out and use the... Remember that company that sponsored us in the middle of the pandemic where they were like, all oh, your sanitizing needs, they've got these push pedal things um, outside that use them instead. But it's just... Another thing <laughs> every time. How many people have touched that filthy sanitizer and not got anything out of it? Like, ah, uh, <laughs> and it, you know, it hands tied behind their back all the time. That's what you think about hands tied behind their back. Everyone within that club, from the football side to the not football side, but some things are. Taking a poster down is hard. Isn't hard. Surely there's a drill somewhere. If anything's attached to the wall, surely there is a drill somewhere at a football club where someone can just go and unscrew something. And I don't know. I don't know. But if you know, if you're that demoralised, if you're that nervous about your situation because you know we don't know if we're going to have a job, you know, if you don't know what's going on and you're that. Um, out of the loop with the situation or not communicated with or you just don't like your boss why are you going to go why why are you going to go that extra extra you know extra mile especially if there's only what what do we think three four full-time members of staff mm-hmm. outside of the football team i mean 
yeah, those are the, those are the wins, and you know all of the responsibilities to to try and get back to Deb's question do all point to the very top. <laughs> That's a very good point. I think we've answered that question, Deb. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just. <laughs> Yeah, there's Sorry. there's there's a couple of there's one from Jerry Jenner. Oh, Ian, just quickly, yeah. um, just I'd like to offer an an apology to Debs as well because I spoke to her after the game on on um, at the weekend, and um, I thought her name was Gemma, and she said no uh, <laughs> because it's not her name. Um, so yeah, apologies, uh, Debs. Sorry about that. <laughs> she said no. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a question from Jerry Chinnock as well. Um, I, we don't have, to, we won't answer this, Jerry, but I'll just read it out because it's your question says quite a lot. Uh, how embarrassing <laughs> is it that there was seven thousand eight hundred fans there and one converted caravan at the back of the Thatcher stand selling three pound fifty cans of Thatchers with two people serving? Why not open the tent or get something more suitable? Maybe fans would spend more money at the club. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. We can't really answer that. But to be fair, Gemma Chinnick does. I mean, Joey Chinnick <laughs> does make a valid point, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, brilliant. Um, Dan Johnson asks: Are high foots at head level? High feet. That should be Dan. Come on. Are high feet no longer a foul? No. Not if names, what? names Jez and you referee FA Cup for the round. <laughs> uh, games at Google, apparently not. This was this is the point that that Thorpey was making that you you see it a lot these days where if the head goes in low, is it a high foot by the letter of the law? But then you know obviously if you do catch your opponent, then obviously it's it 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 should be a foul and potentially a card of some description. But you do sometimes look at at some of these. Um, matchups that, that that go on you do sometimes think actually the attacker there has actually gone in very low with his head somewhat almost you would expect to be on the receiving end of quite a battering if you go in that low I <laughs> he's think invited a, a kick to the head there yeah very much so <laughs> if anything he's headed his boot <laughs> <laughs> uh, is it it's like that so, moment you know the, the playoff final where marcus stewart does a diving header and he should have just fucking lamped it with his left foot <laughs> but players do it a lot you see it so much that they they go so low and you think why have you why have you gone for that decision but in this particular instance i will say dan moss getting kicked in the head probably a foul yes <laughs> uh few questions from what's i think we've already answered it, a lot of these uh did we get it wrong with barnes mm, yes yes uh, is it time to play a proper left back? One of our players of the season at left back. Don't know who he's talking yes. about there. Yeah, well, he wants to move Jordan Barnett to left back. Well, I still think that Jack Robinson is one of our players of the season so far. So okay. both applies. Should we resort to a four-four-two? No. Dave. No, I, I, I quite like. I quite like the four-three-three formation, to be yeah. honest. But hey, why not do four-two-two-two? Because apparently that's working in the rage at the moment. <laughs> well, that's you know that's sort of what we sort of what we used to do a little bit. The diamond was sometimes a bit more of a square than diamond. Um, I don't know. I like four-three-three. I think it gets the best out of Knowles. I think it gets the best out of Charlie Wakefield. Um, I also not sure we've got strikers who may complement them complement each other. We haven't got little and large. We ain't got you know 
you know, Ruben Reed and Reese Murphy last season. That spell when they were partnered together was great. We haven't got James Hayter. We three at, at the at all. Just throwing it out there. They laugh at me every week when I suggest the potential <laughs> of uh, wingbacks. Every week they laugh at me. Hey, Barnett can definitely be our uh, Robertson. <laughs> I don't know who that is. Definitely. Um, I... <laughs> I, I mean... Whenever we've played three at the back under Darren Sile, it has not worked. Yeah, it's fair. I think probably a fair comment. I think I don't know. It feels like our bat, a bat four is always going to be our best balance. Um, I think if we move to a back three, who do we play wing back? Because I don't think Moss is a wing back, and I think Moss is a better right back than he just shoving him in at wing back or shoving him in at right centre back. And I. And I guess also with a three at the back, you're you're likely to then have a uh, a strike partnerships. And would you, could you see quickly and read together, for example? No. And what happens to everything else then? What happens to your midfield? What happens? You know, do you go with mm. two? Where does Josh Staunton fit in this? Do you move Josh Staunton to centre back and then lose what he gives no. us in midfield? Like there's there's no. too many ramifications from changing from a back four, in my view. I think it gives us more fluidity and more options further up the pitch if we play a back four I only ask that because I've uh, sorry Ben that I've just uh, downloaded football manager and I'm probably <laughs> going to start with Yeovil and look at a couple of formations so maybe I'll rule that one out straight away then well, I wish you luck with that <laughs> the, uh, the the key to our defensive success this season has been that five hasn't it it's been Smith in the four Moss Hunt Wilkinson and then a varying choice of left backs but that's been the key to our defensive success you cannot move away from that back four in front of it you've probably got a little bit more flexibility but it served us so far so good that back four has to go and stay as it is can i just say i thought max hunt was uh, excellent i don't know how it came across on tv but i thought he was he did a couple of nice little turns where he sold a couple couple of drops of the shoulder yeah (laughs) I, uh, i thought he was yeah i thought he looked um very assured and yeah I enjoyed his performance. He's got to uh, keep an eye on a certain Mr. Murphy on Tuesday night as well, so I'm glad he's mm, feeling good. Yeah. A uh, question from Harry Eaton. Breaking, without breaking rule one, which we've already done, uh, what will happen first? We get decent refs in a match. Or Scott releases his next half-yearly press statement. Oh. It's five to six each of two, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know who the ref is for Tuesday night. I'll have to look at the refs list. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's more chance of us having a good ref on Tuesday than there is a statement. We, we, I think. Yeah, we're going to have more, more opportunities of referees before we hear. So whether <laughs> or not the referees are any good or not is up for debate. Just need he just needs a poke, doesn't he? Then he feels the need to bash out a 1500 word legible statement. Um, <laughs> maybe he'll listen to this, and that'll be enough. Uh, he right. listen to it. He's the only one that doesn't listen to <laughs> the this. only Don't one. About that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Adam Barrington. Uh, we may have. I think we've probably discussed this. What are your thoughts on Grant Smith's suspension impact on the last two games? Could results have been any different? We think they may have been. I think. Mm. So. Yeah. And expectations for the South End game? Can I say I'm a little teeny tiny bit concerned about the South End game? Mm. About having a little bit of after the Lord Mayor show, all the razzmatazz, all the 
sort of uh, TV stuff, having the cameras there and all the rest of it and having that big performance and having to psych yourself up to, to play against the big boys. And then someone called Reese Murphy is going to play up front against you. There's a, lad up, there's, a, there's a lad at the back called Nathan Ralph. What kind of name is that? Um, who has two first asked. names? Eh? I know. Who, who does that? Um, so I'm, there is a teeny tiny bit of a concern. That being said, South End are not amazing. It's worth mm-hmm. noting. They only just scraped past the Seagull Botherers at the weekend. Um, they only just scraped past Dorking Wanderers in the FA Trophy. They haven't got great wins. They did draw away at Bromley, and that's probably the most creditable recent performance. But in terms of form, I'm I'm quite okay with playing a side that have got less points than they have played games. Um, <laughs> do you think? Do you think Ben? There's something in the fact that because it's Southend United and the name Southend, like a part when you actually when you say that you look at the form, you we probably should be going there thinking we can absolutely take take three points here but the name south end sometimes you might think maybe their fortunes are they have to turn around at some point and maybe there is a team there obviously they've had their financial troubles etc but are we expecting them to be where they are now come the end of the season i don't know not with reese murphy up front you wouldn't have thought Mm. i feel like Uh, to to be fair i'm just looking around now i think reese murphy's been playing left wing (laughs) what I'm just looking at some formations. I've no idea how correct these formations right, are, right. but by the look of it, he's playing left wing. Surely not. But I mean, they've scored less goals than us. Yeah. And yeah, there aren't and many defend. teams that can... Yeah, we've conceded considerably less than them. Um, if you, I mean, if you look at numbers on a page, we win that easy. No problem at all. Our away form is really good. Their home form is pretty crap. Um, I have no concerns about us going there and winning. Might be a bit scrappy, might be a bit horrible, but we win. Easy. No problem at all. But there's that little nagging feeling of, I don't know, we've lost three now, little tiny bit of pressure. They'll want to get that feeling of a win. It might not be easy. It might be nil-nil for a long period of time. It might be difficult to get up for it. They probably had a huge adrenaline that night. Sunday was probably a difficult day. Monday's the only day of prep, of training and the rest of it. And suddenly, bang, Tuesday in a coach off to South End. It's not easy. That's not going to be easy. So it's going to be a big test for them, if not necessarily in terms of opposition. I'd have loved for us to have had to play Needham Market next. Yeah, me too. That would have been a nice uh, recovery, mm. you know, week, uh, you know, a week of, uh, you know, five free days or whatever. And then into a game that, you know, it is, it should be an easy one for us. <laughs> you know, I don't want to understate it need a market but we should be if we beat Woking 3-1 we should be doubling that at least <laughs> against against a team of that well it's a complete level. change isn't it from this weekend where you could argue that this weekend was our cup final and next weekend it's it's theirs I suppose um, in, in many ways but like you say mm-hmm. with, you would definitely be looking at even with changes that you'd be expecting a good win in that one yeah, yeah, and I think also let's just note on the South End game that the ticketing is shitty and you have to turn up on the day and pay £2 extra because they're not offering their reduced price or tickets before the day, which is just a, a, you know, a slap in the face, a Tuesday night game mm. and uh, forcing people to pay more. I think 
I think 20 quid is more than enough to go and watch National League football as an away supporter. There's this whole 20s plenty campaign, which applies to the Premier League. Um, yeah, a bit shit, but you know, their owner is what he is. And <laughs> seems to be a bit... Seems to be a theme there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, the battle of the shit owners. Um, a question from Andrew Foote. With our decent cut run now at an end, what do we need to do in the league and trophy for this to be considered a good season? With current off-field issues, would a mid-table finish be a relative success? Win them. Win them all. Mid-table's fine with a with a trophy win. Oh, is it? <laughs> Twelve. Twelve's okay with a, with a trophy win. Twelve and a trophy's okay, isn't it? Twelve's okay. Well, I'm not, I think... having, I'm not having twelfth is okay from where we are right now. Yeah, but 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 you know, let's let's think about that trophy for a second. <laughs> oh, I, I still want that. I st- I still want the damn Somerset Premier Cup. But I'm not having twelfth, even with a trophy. Two, two, yeah. two, two trophies and a twelfth. <laughs> um, a double, a cup double, and a, a, cup a double. double. I want I want the cup double anyway. I really when you do. look at the when you look at the FA Trophy, am I right in thinking that last season uh, there wasn't anyone from the National League actually in the FA Trophy final? It was Concord Rangers below. versus uh, I can't remember who they played. Lewis Simpa played. Um, pass. Oh, was it not Notts County? Was it not Notts County or Harrogate? And they'd been like promoted because of the delays. Can't remember. Oh, was no. it? Oh, did they play it like afterwards? I'm sure there there was two teams that you wouldn't expect to get to to the FA Trophy final, which just made me think. Well, if they're there, then what, we can certainly be, get there. What year is it? We're 2022 <laughs> now. It was 2021. <laughs> I think Ben makes a good point. I think there was it was Hereford situation versus, where it went. Yes, Hereford, Hereford versus right. Hornchurch. There you go. And it was three one to Hornchurch. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's, uh, I think I get why Ben feels the way he feels. Uh, but I think in the context of our current situation where we have an owner who is, um, seemingly, we don't know, but seemingly cutting his losses and he is not putting anything in, like, I, I, I don't see you know, he's not at games. Why would he be putting any expense into it? You know, mm. a few months after taking out a nine hundred grand loan from Sport England, um, uh, I think the context of that, if if you know nothing changes, which we're all extremely hopeful and optimistic that it will, if nothing changes, I'll take mid table. <laughs> I'll take mid table. I don't think we're reaching don't go down, don't go bust territory. But if, you know, if any, anything falls through, if a takeover falls through, we we probably are in don't go down, don't go bust territory. Unless all of a sudden, through the kindness of his heart, he decides, actually, you know what? I will lead this club into the promised land because I know what to do. I've got a long-term plan. I still want to be within touching distance of the playoffs. I really do. 
Yeah. I, I mean, so do, I so do I. <laughs> I. I, for me, a successful season. I, I want to win the trophy. I think we should really try and win the trophy. Mm. Um, and I think we need to keep the playoff dream alive as long as we can. We're, I mean, we're seven points off now. We're not exactly next door. Like, it's fine that we are within, but we all think that with another good run, we couldn't, we can do it. And so that's all I want. I just want to keep that hope alive. I don't want to give up and just accept 12th. I'd well, rather, it's that kind I'd, of league, though, isn't it? Where you can be 16th and still mm. probably about four points off the playoffs. Like, yeah. that's, that's the congested nature of it. But, I, you know, I do take your point that, you know, when you want to look at the loftier ambitions of where we... You know, we've we've had a taste of it for a long time now, so there's no reason why we shouldn't think we're not capable. Certainly, with the starting eleven that we can put together. And I, I said it. we need to go on, Ben. I, I, if I if you offered me a choice of twelfth in the trophy or the heartbreak of missing out on the final day and goal difference and finishing eighth, I'd take it because it kept us going for that longer period of time. That's what I want. I want the feeling of we can, we can, we can, we can, and if the hope kills me, so be it. All right. Fair enough. Mm. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? I had something so poignant, important, that's just totally gone from my brain. Uh, maybe it will come back. Maybe it won't. But listeners should know that it was, you know. Just tweet probably, it afterwards. It'll be fine. <laughs> it was probably the greatest thought I've ever had. Um, Mark Swatridge asks, uh, what do we think about the chance of Bournemouth get battered? Uh, insert team name here, get battered. Um, Ada Yusuf and the chant around Ada Yusuf. And uh, there was a chant about, I think it was a chant about Scott Parker um, being a sex offender, which was just uh, stupid. So what do we think about the chance? Uh, I personally, I think the get battered one is appropriate when you're battering a team. <laughs> Not when you're More. drawing with Torquay or losing to Bournemouth. Um, I think the Adi Yusuf one is unacceptable. And I don't like it. And I think, um, you know, <laughs> I'd like to think if someone of authority was running the football club, they would maybe say something about that type of chant and perhaps say it's not particularly appropriate. Um, and <laughs> chanting anything about sex offenders is stupid, ignorant, and just not a part of what going to watch football should be. And don't really have much to add to that, <laughs> to be honest, mate. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I think, I think what's, what's worse as well is obviously when you get, um, quite a few younger people there and particularly that they then pick things up there because there's a catchy tune or whatever and then they don't actually necessarily realize the words that they're saying yeah. which is an even bigger issue yeah again i can't really add an awful lot there are there are so many better things to chant we're actually quite good at them and have been historically of coming up with chants and and songs and stuff um I would walk 500 miles to see Gozi Ugu score a goal. I mean, that's quite innovative. Well played. I like that stuff. He didn't do it many times, but fair play. Um, like, how do you not realise calling someone a sex offender 
is inappropriate. Yeah. Do you think they? Do, do you think they? Do you think they sing it and also kind of think to myself, probably should be doing this. Yeah, probably should be doing this. Or do you think they do it and they're oblivious to it? Yeah, like have just half a millisecond and maybe just share around a brain cell or two between you. And you know, don't be idiot. If you're going to be factually incorrect by saying. Bournemouth get battered everywhere they go. Do you know, I'm almost happy to overlook that because it's one of them that's getting catched, getting caught, getting catched on. Jesus, getting caught on <laughs> every, everywhere. Every, everyone's yeah. singing it to everybody. Win, lose, yeah. it's, it's like the LA, LA, LA thing. Yeah. Like everyone's adopted that. That's fine. I get it. It's factually incorrect. Bournemouth are actually very good and they battered us. <laughs> um, but like, just just have a moment of thought instead of being a complete friggin' idiot. Yeah. Um, and don't sing about Scott Parker being a sex offender. It's just stupid. Yeah, and don't I talk. Think about we've covered that. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's <sighs> it's just take a look at yourself. Do you think that, I always think I, if, if if my I always, I always approach things like this with if my mum heard me singing that song, what would she <laughs> what would she think about it? If she thinks you're a dickhead for doing that. I'm probably not going to do it. <laughs> Would your mum be proud of you singing about Ada Yusuf or calling a complete random stranger a sex offender? Mm, probably. There's, there are lines. You can do the way your shit ah when the goalkeeper takes a goal kick. Yeah, That's fine. Because the goalkeeper knows he's a darn type better at being a goalkeeper than you are at doing anything. <laughs> so that's fine. Like, I, I, that's okay. That's, Even Dylan Barnes. the line now. Even Dylan Mines, okay. even though his distribution is worse than Josh Wagoner's, which is saying something. Um, <laughs> that must have been hard for you to talk about, Josh Wagoner, in that negative fashion. I love, I, I love the man, but he can't kick a ball straight. So, um, yeah, d- we've already talked about it too long. Yeah, if you're one of those long. people, if, you, if I will just say, if you're one of those people that sang along, that started it, that had, that thought it was in any way, shape, or form a wise thing to do, you are, quite frankly, a twat. <laughs> And not funny. Not funny at all. And I think that is our questions all dried up. Anything Can't else? End on that. <laughs> end on me calling fellow Yeovil fans a twat. <laughs> you made your bed. <laughs> no, I did. I really did. I tell you what, let's, let's end let's with this. Let's look forward prior. to Tuesday. How, how, how has it been being back on the Glover's cast? Like... Like putting on an old glove, mate. Like putting on an old pair of, <laughs> pair of gloves, fitting straight in. But um, I have to say, doing it like this is, is is a lot better, isn't it? Look, I can see that you've all um, looking in front of me here. You've got your, the equipment certainly moved on from when we were <laughs> sort of first doing it over sort of wired headphones for a for a for an old iPhone or something. Um, so um, it certainly looks much more. Um, I don't want to say much more professional because that sounds like that you weren't professional in the first place. But we were not, and yeah. we are not. Um, we do pay for the upgraded Zoom, though. Yeah. So, and uh, you know, if you want to sponsor the upgraded Zoom companies, <laughs> now's your chance. Get in touch. Ian at gloverscast.co.uk. Ben at gloverscast.co.uk. You can sponsor the upgraded Zoom. Before we go, Dave, have you improved your meal deals yet? Now oh, is a never. chance. No, now I'll is a chance to it. redeem yourself. <laughs> headphones are going off i don't even want to hear it i just don't quite understand what the issue is I hummus mean... and carrots <laughs> hummus and carrots is the issue 
yeah, I'm still I'm still very much on on Hummus and Carrots. Apart from, I have to be honest with the um, with Christmas having just been and gone, I, I am a fan of the um, the all the trimmings turkey uh, sandwich that you can get. Uh, I don't know if that changes things at all, <laughs> but but that but that's Do you only like the cranberry? That's only about six weeks of the year. Yeah, yeah, I'm all over cranberry. Should we leave it, Ben? Should we cook? Yeah. Don't need to hold you back. Oh, leave it. Yeah. All right. Cheers, everyone. And with a quick turn, skipper Alex Dock slams it in. There's Lindergaard making Boris backpedal. Davis looking to help it into the path of Morris. He's found him via the deflection. It's Aaron Davis. He could win it. He probably has won it for Yeovil. Oh, and it's an opening goal. What a start. Madden, after just six minutes, gives Yeovil the lead. Stansfield, good turn away from Trott. Goal. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.